Hello, this is Dr. Nasir Gami, and you're listening to the Gami Psychiatry Podcast. Scientific, humanistic, and not the conventional wisdom. Hello, this is Dr. Nasir Gami, and welcome to the next podcast episode in the Gami Psychiatry Podcast. On this episode, I'd like to discuss uh, psychedelics like psilocybin and MDMA and ketamine um, as new uh, supposedly transformative treatments in psychiatry. Uh, my critique is that they're not transformative and then they're not really revolutionary at all. Uh, my approach to this is not because that they have high addiction risks or that they're harmful in that respect, although they, they can be. My main critique is that people are not appreciating that the issue is that these drugs are symptomatic and that they are not disease modifying. And that's why they're not revolutionary. So let's just talk about that a little bit. We've discussed this in previous podcasts. Remember that all drugs can be divided into these two basic categories, symptomatic or disease modifying drugs. Symptomatic drugs are like Tylenol for a headache, aspirin for a fever. Disease modifying drugs are like antibiotics that cause the infection that causes the headache or fever, uh, or lipid-lowering drugs that get at the disease process that eventually lead to heart attacks, or antihypertensives that get at the disease process, which eventually leads to stroke. So it's not the symptoms of the heart attack or stroke that you're treating. You're taking these drugs which treat no symptoms at all in order not to have the heart attack and the stroke. Uh, they don't treat symptoms. They treat the underlying disease process. These are disease-modifying drugs. Now, in the case of both anti-hypertension uh, and heart disease, we really don't even know what the etiology of those conditions is. So you don't need to know the cause or etiology to have a disease-modifying treatment. Uh, if you do know the cause, so much the better, but uh, you can intervene in the middle stages of pathogenesis. So we have etiology, pathogenesis, and then symptoms. Uh, most of our drugs affect the last stage, the symptoms. What's beneficial is to get earlier stages, either the pathogenesis or the etiology, with pathogenesis being the most commonly attained goal in medicine. Now, in psychiatry, I've said that almost all of our drugs are symptomatic, with the exception of lithium and maybe a few mood stabilizers. Uh, most psychiatric drugs just treat current symptoms, like aspirin for a headache, Tylenol for a fever. You have some symptoms, the symptoms get somewhat better with the drugs as long as you take them. But if you stop them, the symptoms come back. And if you continue them long-term, the symptoms may continue to happen to some extent because you're not getting at the underlying cause or disease process. So antidepressants improve depressive symptoms, anxiolytics improve anxiety symptoms, amphetamines improve cognitive symptoms, but they don't treat an underlying disease that causes those symptoms. And, um, that is a general problem. Now with psychedelics and with ketamine, you have a scenario where we say we can treat the symptoms even better. In these cases, mostly people look at depression in the case of ketamine, PTSD, and sometimes depression with psychedelics, that we you have depressive symptoms. We can treat them even more quickly. Instead of a few weeks of getting better, it's a few days or a week. Instead of getting better 25%, we get them 50% better, 70% better. We get more of the symptoms better and we get them better more quickly. And this is viewed as revolutionary and transformative. Well, that's great. 
except the problem for most people with depression and PTSD is not that they have terrible symptoms that they need to get better in a week as opposed to three weeks or a month. It's that they have symptoms that go on for years and years. And uh, what they really need is something that treats the underlying cause so the symptoms go away over years, not to treat the current symptoms more quickly. And um, this is um, an issue which if you look at the, the clinical trials that have been done on ketamine and S-ketamine, which is the version that's FDA approved on the market, and you look at the clinical trials that have been done and are being done on psilocybin and MDMA, what you see is that the studies are all these couple week long studies which try to show rapid benefit. Well, that's a classic symptomatic treatment. It's like saying, here's a super Tylenol, a super aspirin for psychiatry. Even if it's all true, that's great, but that's not what's gonna help people. People don't need just such rapid symptom effects they need long-term treatments that take away uh, the disease processes uh, effect on causing more and more symptoms and episodes over time and eventually preventing suicide, for instance. Uh, most of the studies, if not all, of uh, ketamine and psychedelics are short-term studies. They're not long-term. People often will cite longer-term data like six months or a year but they are not randomized. The randomized period is usually a month or two. And then they just follow people after they stopped the randomization where they got drug or placebo. And now they just get the drug openly and they follow them for six months or a year. And they say there's benefit. Well, that's fine, but that doesn't prove benefit. As anyone knows who's involved with drug research, uh, that's the case with almost all drugs. You don't really know the benefits to the drug unless you do a randomized trial with a placebo and you do it long-term, meaning a year, two years or longer. And none of that's ever been done with ketamine or psychedelics. So that's my main critique. They're not disease modifying. They certainly haven't been proven to be disease modifying. Now you may believe they are disease modifying, but unless you do a study like I've described, you can't prove that. Uh, and you, can't, you shouldn't be claiming it, even though people assume it. Part of the problem in the profession is that uh, many people don't make this distinction between symptomatic and disease-modifying effects of drugs in psychiatry. They assume that if anybody gets better with any drug, they're just going to do great forever. They don't draw the symptomatic versus disease-modifying distinction, which is very important. Many people get short-term symptomatic benefit, but they do not get long-term effect because of the absence of a disease-modifying effect. And in fact, the drugs which often have disease-modifying effects do not have any short-term symptom benefits. I'll put aside for now any comment on the addictiveness of ketamine and PCP of uh, psychedelics. Uh, clearly they are addictive, even at low doses, even though people claim otherwise, we can have that discussion later. In many people, they can be quite addictive. Um, and often what, what happens, and I've seen clinically is that a patient will get a low dose of ketamine prescribed, uh, but then go one after getting exposed to it, go and abuse it off the street. Uh, I've seen patients who had no prior ketamine abuse, no prior substance abuse at all, who became ketamine abusers after getting prescribed it. Um, people will say, well, there's no studies of this, but that's because it hasn't been studied. Uh, but uh, when you have cases like these, it certainly raises the question of um, the risk as opposed to assuming there is no risk. One last comment on suicidality. People will say, well, rapid benefit is useful for suicidality with ketamine, which is 
been reported and with escatamine, which has now gotten FDA language for it. What these studies can show is that in randomized data over a few weeks, patients' suicidal thoughts improve more rapidly with ketamine or escatamine than placebo. But improvement in suicidal thoughts does not mean that you will prevent eventual suicide. Uh, about half of patients with depression have suicidal thoughts. About 10% make suicide attempts. About 10% of those who make suicide attempts eventually complete suicide. Half the people who complete suicide never have made an attempt before. So even though suicide attempts are a predictor of suicide, uh, many people commit suicide without having had suicide attempts. This uh, death by suicide, therefore, is overlaps with suicidality and suicide attempts, but it's not the same thing. And in fact, the vast majority of people who have suicidal ideation never make a suicide attempt or complete suicide, over 90%. So to show a reduction in suicidal ideation over a few weeks uh, does not mean that you're eventually going to have a major impact in prevention of suicide in patients, because 90% of those people wouldn't have tried to die by suicide anyway, wouldn't have been exposed to death by suicide anyway. And those who do, a tiny fraction of them are going to be the ones that have the suicidal ideation for a few weeks that got better on ketamine. The studies, for instance, of people who've made suicide attempts show that uh, the 10% who eventually die by suicide do so in 10 or 20 years of follow-up. So it's not like they're going to die by suicide next month or two. You really have to follow people out for years to see if they have suicide. So the improvement over a few weeks uh, does not have any of that long-term benefit. It gets back to that symptomatic versus disease-modifying effect issue. Uh, if you have current symptoms, certainly a drug might be helpful for your current risk, but that does not affect your long-term risk. Only if it has a disease-modifying effect so that the benefits are longer term will you reduce the long-term risk. In the case of antihypertensives and lipid-lowering drugs, uh, you, many studies can show decreased mortality rates with these drugs, although even that's um, difficult to show in cardiovascular disease. But to some extent, where there are such data, you do see some benefit with mortality with these drugs uh, over years and decades. Uh, that's a disease-modifying effect. Lithium has been shown to decrease death by suicide uh, in randomized clinical trials. That's a disease-modifying effect. Um, but uh, ketamine has not been shown to prevent completed suicide, and it certainly hasn't been shown to do so in randomized trials that are a year longer, a year or longer, which would be more in the, in the long-term course of the illness. Uh, in fact, in the acute couple-week-long randomized trials with S-ketamine that were sent to the FDA, there were more deaths by suicide on ketamine than placebo. Uh, actually, all the, there were six deaths and they were all on ketamine and none on placebo at all. Some were suicides, some were automobile accidents, and it, it was all written off as not being clearly attributable to the drug. But it's worth pointing out that if the drug reduced suicidal thinking, it did not actually reduce suicides themselves in the studies that were done short-term. In fact, there were increased rates of suicides or deaths that might've been suicides or otherwise related to ketamine. Uh, and so until those studies were done, are done, we should not presume that the drug actually will have benefit in completion of suicide. Uh, one uh, final point is that um, with ketamine, 
and uh, with uh, psychedelics, the um, hype is about having something revolutionary that people seem to think will have major impacts for a long time. But the evidence that's being presented is much more short-term, much more symptomatic, and uh, does not get anywhere near the hype. Those are the main points I wanted to make on that issue. Um, and uh, I think it's something that, that people are insufficiently aware of. Um, a general point that one might also make is that it is interesting that psychiatry is going back to these drugs from the 1950s and 1960s that were abused at that time, that were drugs of abuse, and trying to give them at very low doses to try to show benefits now and view that as revolutionary. Whereas in fact, it's not revolutionary for the reasons given because you're, you're not doing anything except giving more of a symptomatic benefit, a super Tylenol, that's not revolutionary. But also just going back to old drugs that are drugs of abuse from 50 to 60 years ago, suggests that the profession is running out of ideas, that uh, there aren't good mechanisms and new mechanisms that people are following up on. That would be much more useful to the field than these old, tired drugs of abuse that are trying to be recycled at low doses and such and claim to be much more beneficial than they are and even probably safer than they really are. Thank you for your attention. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I hope you liked it and we'll catch you next time.